You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money, so start by knowing what you own and what you owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. It's Jean Chatsky sitting here at CDM Studios on lovely Ninth Avenue in New York <laughs> City. Kelly Holdgren is with me because this is a bonus mailbag. Ooh. Yes, we should have special <laughs> bonus mailbag sound effects. Charles, can you help with that? <laughs> I always like to think when we're talking about me picking out mailbag questions or diving into the mailbag, I think of Daffy Duck, is it? Yeah. Diving into the bag. Like I'm just this little duck. Diving going, in. Going for questions. Or you could have like the sound of a letter being open. Oh, that's good. You know? That's or, really good. Or a mailbox. Yes. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We have yet to receive one actual letter from nobody anyone. nobody knows our address. <laughs> knows. And we're not giving it out, by no, the way. No. Yeah. So it is more digital than we're, we're leading on, but. The idea of it is romantic and nice. <laughs> All right. Speaking of questions. Somebody send Kelly a letter, please. Somebody send me a letter. <laughs> you know what I love? Catherine on our team, she writes letters. Yes, she does. And I love that. Yeah. It's so nice. I don't. I should do that more often. You still write letters, too, I Occasionally. think. Occasionally. Not, not too often. Yeah. I write thank you notes. Which is important. Yes. Those, I, those are so important. I hope that they never die. I hope not to. Yeah. My mother... Last year for Hanukkah, I think it was last year for Hanukkah, got all the grandchildren stationary. Oh, I love so that. So that they would write yes. thank you notes. Yes. Yes. Hint, hint. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We'll get to some questions as promised. Our first question is from Myrtle. I'm a single parent of one, a 30-year-old daughter who was terminated in late October from a job she held for five years. She was declared ineligible for unemployment benefits. She also held two other jobs at the time, both seasonal part-time, paying $9 an hour. They are now her only income source, except myself. She has just renewed her lease for two more years in May, has a car loan, and quite a lot of credit card debt. There's no emergency fund, just about 4900 in a pension fund that is now rolled into an IRA and about $64,000 pre-tax in her 401k. My advice was to cash in the IRA first and hope she finds a job before it runs out. What do you think? Oh, boy. Um... I mean, we hate to see people cashing out their retirement funds, whether they're 401ks or IRAs, because uh, you pay taxes, you pay penalties combined. They can add up to 30 to 40 cents on the dollar. It's a really, really expensive thing to do. Plus, you're taking your money out of an account where it's supposed to grow to um, – where it's supposed to grow to provide a significant amount of support for you in retirement. That said, I understand why you gave her the advice. It sounds like um, she is up to her eyeballs in all sorts of debt without a lot of possibilities for additional income. I would encourage you to get her some help from a credit counselor. You can find not-for-profit credit counselors at nfcc.org. That's the National Foundation of Credit Counseling. And those 
particular credit counselors go through an intake process where they ask you a lot of questions. They will tell you whether or not they can help you before they put you on a debt management plan. And if they do take you into a debt management plan, it can significantly reduce the interest rates that you're paying on that sort of credit card debt. It also sounds like she needs some guidance as far as A, earning, and B, budgeting. She is, uh, you didn't say how big her apartment is that she renewed until May, but maybe it's possible that there is room for another person in that apartment, that she could take in a roommate. Maybe it's possible that she no longer needs this car and could take public transportation back and forth to work. Maybe there are other places her money is going that you're not aware of right now. What I do know is that you refer to yourself as her other income source. The longer you continue to provide income for her at her age, the less likely it is that she's going to step up her search for a job because you're bailing her out. And if you don't want to continue to bail her out forever, you got to stop supporting her now. That may sound like a really, really hard line to take, but just look at where we are in terms of the economy. There are a lot of jobs out there. And if she is looking hard and looking often and truly motivated to go out and get one of those jobs, my guess is that she will be successful. But her level of motivation is going to be directly linked to how much money you are giving to her without her having to work for it. So I would just say I know it's hard, but back off and force her into a situation where she's got to pay her own way maybe for the first time in her life. I was thinking the same thing, and I don't even have children. And I, when I did a double take on the age and just other pieces of the financial picture that she provided for us, it sounds like there is a tendency to spend a lot mm -hmm. of what she's making, but it also sounds like she has a great work ethic, like she works a lot. Right, it does. I mean, it yeah. sounds like she has, if nothing else, she has the ability to get jobs. Yep. So let her go out and get a third job. Let mm -hmm. her go out and get a higher paying job yep. and then get rid of the two $9 an hour jobs. There, There's a lot of work out there mm -hmm. these days for people. So let her be motivated to try to bail herself out and mm -hmm. feel good about that. Yep. And then work on the behavior change of saving more of that exactly. money, which we are all working on. Next, we'll do one from Lindsay. Through the series of your podcast, there is a strong recurring message to work with a fee-based financial planner. How do I begin this search? My CPA recommended several options, but I was told that my asset base would not be a good fit within their fee-based payment structure. Such a kick in the pants to someone that has saved 10% in company match, 4% 401k, since graduating college in 2006 and maxed Roth IRA contributions annually. Next, I try to Yelp search, but the planners all utilize an annual percent fee. Here's my issue. I'm padding back to school this fall for my EMBA program since I focused on my disposable income towards funding my 401k and Roth IRA. My saving only covers monthly essentials plus emergency savings. I know it's not appropriate to utilize these funds for tuition. Should I pull money from my Roth IRA or borrow from my 401k to fund my educational journey or take student loans? The interest 
interest on the Stafford plan is 6%, with the recent tax legislation, it may no longer be tax deductible. If that's the case, I don't think a student loan is a wise decision. I've been exploring local financial planners for four months without success. How do I begin the interviewing process that you outline on almost every podcast? I would go to two different places. First, I'd go to the home base the administrator for your 401k. You may be able to find a very well-suited financial advisor at that institution at very, very low cost without having to pay that sort of a percentage of assets under management. The other place I would go is GarrettPlanningNetwork.com. Garrett is a network of fee-only financial advisors who are willing to charge by the hour. And you may just need a couple of hours worth of expertise to try to figure this out for you. As far as the options that you've laid out to come up with the money, I'd look at your trajectory toward retirement. You know, we talk often on this show about the benchmarks of needing to save one times your annual income by the time you're 30 and three times by 40, six times by 50, eight times by 60, and 10 times by the time you retire. I'd want to know where you are on that curve. If you're ahead, then I would probably pull money out of the Roth as long as it's been in there for five years and you can do it without penalty since you've already paid the taxes on it in order to fund at least some of this education. If you're behind, I would look at what sort of an income having this degree is going to allow you to earn when you get out and how much you actually would have to borrow in the form of student loans. If it's easily repayable based on what you think your new salary is going to be, then I think a student loan is probably going to be your best bet. That's what these loans are meant for. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you have already great financial habits. You're a super saver. You know where your money's going. You like knowing where your money is going. So if that does mean taking out a student loan, if that gives you any more confidence to pay it off, I hope it does because it sounds like you have like a really good base mentally to take out a loan. Yeah, exactly. And when you come out, you may be able to refinance that loan depending on where interest rates are at lower than 6%. percent hmm Next, we'll do one from someone who would like to remain anonymous. I attended the conference in Miami when you and Dr. Roizen spoke to a group of us in Coral Gables. I purchased your book, although I admit I haven't read all of it, but I have read certain sections. I do have two questions, and for people who are wondering which book, because Jean has authored a few, it's age-proof. It's age-proof, and and Mike and I did an event in uh, Florida. We had a good time. Nice. Her first question, assuming that it's a her— What are your suggestions to assist a former grad student who has a federal loan to repay of just $100,000? It covered a master's and doctorate. Over the past six years, $12,000 a year has been paid due to the 6.5% interest. The principal is still large. I am able to help somewhat with giving money toward the principal. Second question, I have spoken to two financial advisors regarding 403B money that currently is getting 1.5% as I am not certain what to put it into. I realize some needs to be invested to keep up with inflation, etc. for the future, but at 71, I'm also concerned about losing it. I have other questions as well. I realize some needs to be invested to keep up with inflation, etc. for the future, but at 71, I'm also concerned about losing it. Yeah, at 71, I would be also concerned about losing it as well. I would um, make sure that you are 
in a portfolio that probably has no more than 40% stocks at this point. Um, We usually take 110 minus our age, and that's the approximate amount that we want to have in stocks. And as long as the rest of your money is in secure assets and you've got some money that's in cash, you'll be in a a better place. Um, A financial advisor is the right person to help you put together a portfolio that will work for these purposes. It'll involve more bonds than stocks, but you should look to somebody, and you can use the recommendations that we gave you before, who can help you figure that out. As far as the student loan question itself, um, again, I think we talked earlier about refinancing the student loans. Um, Those grad school loans can be refinanced. You may be able to bring them all in at lower than six and a half percentage points, which would lower the monthly payments and enable you to put more toward the principal. I would just be really careful when you refinance the payments not to extend the term of the loan because that'll result in you paying more interest over the entire life of the loan. Very good to know. And do we think that the student loan debt is her own, or is it someone she might be helping out with the student loan debt? You know, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell from that question. Yeah. I My guess is that it might be someone you're helping. And if it is someone you're helping, I would just be careful about how much you're helping and whether or not you're truly able to afford that. Thank you. We'll do one more from Erica. Your podcast has really helped me feel more in control of my finances. Thank you. An update. I wrote in last year with a question about prioritizing savings versus retirement after my divorce when I had been the main source of income in the relationship. Thank you again for your compassion and guidance in that difficult time. You told me to first build a small savings pool and then put the rest in retirement. I am happy to say I followed your advice and in 2017 maxed out my Roth IRA and thanks to a raise at work with a generous family gift, I was able to save a decent amount in an online savings account with a good interest rate that I never touch. I know. Sound effect here, please. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Now I'm wondering the best way to continue to catch up on my retirement. The snapshot of where I'm at. I'm 33. I have 16000 in my savings account and 62000 in my Roth IRA. My employer offers a 403B but no match, and I've never used it before. Is it still the best option to think about getting as close to maxing that out as possible, even though there's no match, and I would be taxed on it upon withdrawal? I don't have or want a car, and my long-term goals of one day owning a home and having a family seem farther away or less important in the case of home ownership. Right now, than building up my retirement. So I'm thinking of doing the following. One, take out savings and put directly into my Roth IRA the max contribution for 2018, which would still leave me at 10000 in my regular savings account. Or two, contribute as much as possible to the 403B plan. I don't think I'll be able to hit the 18500 max on my current salary as I live in an expensive city. Do you think this is a good idea? Or do you think that I should do something differently? For example, not take money out of savings for the Roth or continue to save regularly more rather than try to max out the 403B since there's no match. I'm less concerned with the match on the 403B than, well, first of all, you're doing great. Yes. Yeah. First of all, you are just, you're you're killing it. Mm-hmm. You're doing great and you're making a ton of progress. And the goal here is just to keep you on the right path. I am, you know, it's great to have matching dollars. It's really nice to have matching dollars. But the value in the 403B here is that Yes, it allows you to put away more than you can put away in the Roth, but also 
it's automatic. And so I like it for that purpose. That said, you're young, and having some tax diversification is also a good idea. So I'd max out a Roth, and then I would put as much as I possibly could into the 403B as well. I wouldn't pull money from savings at this point. I think you've got a nice emergency cushion. You don't want to leave yourself short if something were to happen to you. You say you live in an expensive place. That's probably three to six months worth of living expenses, but probably not so much more. So I'd leave that alone. I'd let that grow at a high interest rate and don't touch it. But then figure out what amount of money you can save each paycheck. Figure out how much of that you have to allocate to the Roth every single paycheck in order to fully fund the Roth through the course of a year. And this year, we can put up to $6,000 into a Roth, plus another 1000 if we are 50 or over in the form of a catch-up contribution. And then I'd put the rest automatically into the 403B. And I'd make both contributions automatically so that you tell your employer to take a certain amount to the 403B, you automatically move the other money to the Roth IRA. And if you find out that, hey, you're actually doing fine and you can do more, then you bump up the 403B contribution by 1% at a time. Nice. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for asking your questions. Thank you so much for listening. And Kelly and I will talk to you next time. 